I love the fact that we're doing this new series called Unlocking Creativity, and I love it for three reasons. One, like how counterintuitive is that? Like how unexpected in the midst of kind of, you know, 50 days of lockdown and uncertainty and fear and turmoil and division and kind of everything's just kind of battening down the hatches. The idea that we would launch a series that kind of throws open the windows and let's go, let's unlock creativity. It's, it's just phenomenal. And, you know, we could do a series around how to just keep persevering. Instead, let's do a series on creativity. It's kind of, we often and talk about, hey, in, in faith, you've got to live in the opposite spirit. And I can't think of anything more in the opposite spirit of our time to, than to focus on a series about unlocking creativity. It kind of reminds me of those, uh, those videos sometimes you see of someone's kind of hanging on to a, a cliff, you know, hundreds of meters down or on a, on a bridge and someone's talking to them and you wonder what it's going to do and then they suddenly throw their arms wide and you realize they're wearing one of those wingsuits or they got a parachute and they just kind of soar off into the distance and, and, and to me it feels a bit like that it's like man these are the laws of gravity and we could talk a lot how to just keep going how to navigate that or we could say actually there's a whole other set of laws the laws of aerodynamics and how about you just you just launch how about you just saw, how about in this season that can seem so hard, so difficult, so uncertain, how about we do a whole series on unlocking creativity? I think that's just awesome. Uh, but, I, but there's two other things I love about this series. The second one is this, it assumes there is creativity. We're not doing a series like how, we, how are we going to inject creativity into you? We're not doing a series on how to put something in you that's not already there. And, and we're assuming that it is there. And, and I want to show in a minute that I think that's a very good biblical assumption. The Bible assumes that you are deeply wired with creativity. But the third thing I love about the series is this idea of unlocking. It assumes that what is in there is going to need to be unlocked. That kind of makes me think of like software products or, or video games that, that, that there's a basic level I'm operating in, but there are all kinds of other levels, but they're currently locked. But someone could give me a key that could unlock something that's already there. And, and so I love this idea, like in a world of, of trial and trouble and difficulty, it's like, let's find the keys that would unlock something that we believe is deeply inside of you already. Ready. So let, so let me unpack, why, would, why should we assume that creativity is already there? Well, I want to say that it's, it's foundational in the Bible, and Pastor Sam and uh, Pastor Scott talked about this last week. You know, the, the, the very first book of the Bible, the very first chapter of the Bible, the very first verse of the Bible is this, in the beginning, God created. The first thing you know about God is He's a creator. Before I know He's holy, or He's righteous, or He's merciful, or He's a compassionate, man, He's a creator. He, he just makes stuff. He fills stuff with goodness and order and flourishing. He's a creator. And then that's the significance down in chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image. People debate a lot around what that means. But in the context, the first thing you're going to say is, if I just met God as a creator, if you're made in his image, you're made as a creator. You carry within you this deep DNA that is born to create, that's born to make a difference, that's born to shape and change things in your world. And so uh, the next two verses later is what's often called the cultural mandate when God just speaks this blessing. God blesses them. 
There's a blessing on your life and it's around being fruitful and increase and filling. There's a blessing. There's a zone for you of blessing and flourishing. When you act out of this God-given creativity that God's put inside of you to go into your world and make a difference, but that's actually one of the first keys. It's about the world. You know, people often say, Genesis 1, God made, God didn't make a cathedral, He made a world. And, and, you know, we often say we're all called to be planted in the church, but 90% of us, our vocation, our calling isn't in the church. So for 90% of us, your primary, your primary creative expression is not writing worship songs or, or creating environments for learning about God. It's out there. It's in the world of technology or farming or food production or factories or corporate accounting or law. It's like, man, God's mandate is out there. Go and be creative, go and flourish, go and make stuff. We need a kind of paradigm shift about God. He created this world and He mandates you to go and do something special, unique, significant in this world. And, and you actually see this uh, just four chapters later as it begins to outplay. It's a significant kind of passage. It just says this, Ada gave birth to Jabal. He was the father of those who live in tents and raise livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all who played stringed instruments and pipes. Zillah also had a son, Tubal Cain, who forged all kinds of tools out of bronze and iron. This is the expression of their creative mandate. This is their creativity unlocked. And we, we often lock creativity just into this middle one. Our creativity is about music and, and instruments and art. And it's like, no, no, creative is also about farming and agriculture and nutrition. And, and creativity is also about metal and, and forging metal and building skyscrapers. And it's, like, and it's like, man, we need to blow open this idea of creativity because the mandate of your creativity is as big as this world and it, and it includes all of your interests and your passions. And it's like, man, we need to unlock that creativity. Uh, I remember a few years ago, we had a Swiss student at Equippers College and he had done a degree in engineering and, you know, he's thinking about what's his call, what's his role and, and you know, and he's going to be planted in the church and he's going to help with e-groups and he's going to do all that. But, but he's just pondering like, God, but but what's the call on my life? And I remember near the end of the year in a worship time, he had this vision of this whole kind of thing of fluids kind of interacting and, and, and moving all around. And he was just captivated by it. And he ended, going, going back, ended up going back to Switzerland and doing a master's degree in fluid dynamics. And now he's working in engineering. His creativity is around engineering things for the flow of liquids and gases and the intricacies of all of that kind of stuff. Like that's his mandate. Yes, he's planted in the church. Yes, he serves in the church. But his creativity has been unlocked in a, in a realm of engineering. And, and so it's like, man, we need, we need to understand God has wired you to be creative in your world in what ignites your passion. And I want to say again, why do we assume that biblically that you're created? It's not only that you're created by a creator to be creative, but you're doubly creative because you're not only created creative, but you're anointed creative. Because in uh, Acts chapter two, uh, Peter says this, in the last days, God says, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. And what will happen? People will start seeing dreams and visions and prophesying. That's what happened to that young Swiss guy 
We are, and again, don't lock this into religious dreams and visions. Begin to see dreams and visions of what your business could look like, what your, if you're a teacher, what your classroom could look like, uh, what, your, what your spreadsheets could look like, and your accounting, and what your client base could look like. You, you're, you're created with this, but then you're anointed to do it. And so we're totally right to go, man, we're in the business of unlocking a creativity that's already there, that's already deeply embedded in your spirit. So, so I want to talk about, so how do we unlock that? How do we unlock the creativity that we assume God has already put deep down inside of you? And, and I want to talk about what I think are three keys, keys that will unlock that creativity that's already there. And, and the first one is this, I believe we need to identify the grace on our life. We need to know where the grace is on our life. What do I mean by that? Um, after, after the Olympics, I read an article about uh, some of the gymnasts, and, and it, it made an interesting statement. It just talked about them, you know, the, the routines they do on the bar and, and uh, the beam and all these kind of things, and it just said this. It said, they moved with grace. And I thought, you know, from a Christian point of view, that's I never kind of connected the dots. We, we talk about people doing something with a sense of, of grace. And, and when you look up the definition, it means poise and ease or smoothness and elegance of movement. But actually, when you go down the meanings, it actually comes from a Christian foundation where it just says this. It is understood by Christians to be a, spont- this is about grace, to be a spontaneous gift from God to people. Generous, free, totally unexpected and undeserved. This, that takes the form of divine favor, love, clemency, and a share in the divine life of God. And when that happens, what's the thing that we see? We see something that looks like an ease and a flow and a poise and an elegance to it. And it's like, there's a, there's a place in your life where, where things just flow. There's a place in your life that for you, things come with ease and, 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 and there's a grace to it. Why? Because Christians, we believe there's a grace behind it. God has graced you in those areas and pretty much every career planning kind of package would say, hey, stop just thinking about what's out there in the future. Turn around and study your past and identify Where do you see the grace? Where do you see the ease? Where do you see the flow? Where do you see the expression of your God-given creativity? Uh, Again, this is a biblical concept, 1 Peter 4.10. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others, this, as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. I'm a steward of some dimension of God's grace in my life. When I function in this way, there's an ease and a flow because God has graced me in that area. There's there's no more important task in life. There's no more important challenge in life. There's no more important key to unlocking your creativity than to be able to answer this question, I know where the grace is. I know where the grace is. And so again, you know, uh, personality, there's lots of personality tools, lots of planning things that basically help name for people and give people permission to go, oh, you mean that's, that's a thing? And it's like, yes, it is a thing. That's who God's made you to be. So, you know, there's different models. Some of you might, this educational thing, this idea of multiple intelligences. In the past, we often focused on mathematical and, and linguistic. Oh, people are intelligent when they're good at maths and good at language. But, but there's other, fine, like kinesthetic, body smart, um, 
uh, you know, we've just had uh, uh, people retire from sports who are, who are famous for the ease of, of how they do things, like flick passes and sidesteps and stuff. It's like there, there's a grace on them to do that kind of thing, like there was a grace on the gymnast. You know, some people, this naturalistic, nature smart. I used to, when I was younger, have a job uh, on a dairy farm as, as a farm boy. And the farmer, he, he just had a grace and an ease working with cows. It just, it, just, it just went smoothly for him. You know, other people are really good on this interpersonal grace. They're just, they're just really great at bringing people together, connecting people. You know, I say before, I often would be frustrated, not frustrated, but just mind blown by, you know, I'd try and talk with people and then my wife would get on the phone and she'd just go like, so how are you? And just the way that she said you, people would just like open up and spill everything. And it's like, how, how does she do that? There's just a grace. There's an ease on connecting and seeing people open up. Even others, intrapersonal, just they're aware of themselves. And suddenly it's like, oh my goodness, there's, there's all kinds of ways that God's wired us differently. Another model some of you might have heard of these Holland codes. It's like, yeah, some people, their zone is in the realistic thing. They, they work with plants, they work with animals, they work with metal, they work with wood. Like that's where things go for them. That's where things work smoothly. They're really good. That's not me. That, but some people, that's great. On the opposite side, yeah, there's people who are more the social, the, the, the people, you know, the nurses who are good at caring for people. Sometimes you see a waiter or a waitress and you just know, man, they're really good at their job. They just connect with people and, and, and it just feels really positive. You know, other people, there is the artistic people, but then there's the enterprising people, the salesmen, the persuasive, the leaders. And it's like, man, there's just an ease as, as, as they are initiating things. And then there are the conventional people that act they just, they just, there's an ease to them running systems. And it's like, man, I need, I need to understand. I still not stop looking. God, what's out there? I need to turn around and understand, like, where's my sweet spot? Where's the ease? What, you know, what works for me? Uh, another one, some of you might have done the Clifton Strengths thing. Again, there's a whole cluster of strengths around strategic thinking, people who are just good at thinking things through. Then there's a whole cluster of strengths of people who are good at relationships. And then a cluster of strengths around people who are good at influencing and moving people, and then there's a whole cluster of strengths around people who are good at just, just getting things done. And, and the point is, this doesn't, we don't choose this and we don't decide it. Like it's wired into us because you were created like this and you see it. I love this photo. It's like, man, right, we've got three, three adult children now, but our, actually, this is not our son, but our son was like that. The methodical, the disciplined, the detailed guy. Then our second child, our daughter, like she was dreams of fairies and dragons and princesses. They couldn't have been more different. And it's like, man, we need to know how has God made us? How has God wired us? And we need to be okay with that. You know, I can think for me, um, it's been a, a journey to understand. I, I, I've come to understand I, there's a pretty narrow thing that I know that eases for me. I basically live in my head and pull together ideas and then put them out there to explain a big picture of what God's doing. That's my sweet spot, pulling together ideas in my head from all kinds of sources and then putting out there for a big vision of what God's doing. And, and I've seen that, 
like that's where the grace is. That's where the ease is. That's, when I step outside of that, it just gets, starts to get clunky. It starts to get forced. It doesn't flow. And, and so, you know, I, I work as the principal of Equippers College. And uh, four years ago, we had a NZQA, the government department, comes and does an audit. And I, I really saw this. You know, we're sitting with all of our staff. And when they ask a question around, so what's the vision? What's the values? Man, I'm there. I'm in my zone. And, but then they start asking about uh, procedures and stuff, and I start fumbling, but then there's another staff person that kicks in, and they're like, oh no, this is what we do, this is how we manage those things. There's other people really good at walking through difficult pastoral things. There's other good people good at working systems, and, and, it, and you suddenly realize, oh, this is how it's supposed to work. I'm supposed to know the grace on my life and, and put that to work. And, and, and I basically, I feel like I know where the grace is on my life. And I don't want to venture outside of that, but I want to steward that grace and I want to do well with that. You know, I noticed last year in the first lockdown, I was kind of struggling a bit. And then I noticed Pastor Wayne and Libby just were doing worship things on Zoom. And then people who are personal trainers were doing that on Zoom. And I thought, man, I need to go back and I, what's my jam? And it's like, man, it's kind of understanding the Bible. It's like, well, let, let's just start serving people doing that. And it's like, you got to know where's the grace and you got to put it to work. And if you think that sounds all humanistic or something, let me show you. It's in the Bible. Uh, let me, three examples. Joseph, you know, as a young guy, he, he sees his brothers managing the, the sheep and he's like, that's not a good way to manage. And he, he, he has to grow a bit of maturity because he just upsets them and, and they hate him. But he's like, he has this innate ability to how to read a situation and manage it. He also has an innate ability to get dreams and interpret them. So, and he gets a dream and he upsets them even more. But it's like Joseph, he, he's just a manager dreamer. You know, and then he gets in Potiphar's, uh, Potiphar's house, he manages it. In the prison, he manages and interpret dreams. Finally, he interprets the dream of the Pharaoh and he ends up managing the world empire of that time. But it's like, it wasn't in a sense a surprise. Joseph's grace, Joseph Ease was like, I'm a manager dreamer. That's what I do. Two pretty kind of seemingly opposite things, but he's like, I know where the ease is. I manage systems and I, and I get supernatural downloads. Um, Moses, you know, as a, as a young man, he, he grew up in this, uh, the Pharaoh's court and, and, and one day he encountered the situation of injustice and he steps into lead to sort out injustice and, and the people make an interesting response. They say, the man says this, this is a great verse. Who made you ruler and judge? And the answer is, Actually, God did, and he quite specifically created me as that. That's who Moses is. He's a ruler and a judge. Uh, after he flees, he finds some woman. Uh, there's not justice around access to uh, wells, and he, and he basically steps in and leads and sorts it out. But his ultimate destiny, like Joseph, is what? He leads a nation out of slavery. He goes to a mountaintop and gets a download of the law of God, the Ten Commandments that have become the foundation of Western ethics for pretty much the next three and a half thousand years. Who's Moses? He's a ruler and a judge. Who's Joseph? He's a manager dreamer. The third one just is, you know, is David. Again, as a young boy, he looks after sheep. He fights off the enemies that are going to attack them. And in his spare time, he, he sings to God. It's like he, he's, a, he's a warrior shepherd who worships. 
And then what happens? Well, God just takes, he took him from tending the sheep. He brought him to be the shepherd of his people, Jacob. He still did the same thing. Now he just shepherded a nation and he fought their enemies and he wrote worship songs that became our Psalms and he set up a worship tabernacle. But David was always the warrior shepherd who worshiped. Joseph was always the dreamer manager. Moses was always the ruler judge. Who are you? Where's the grace in your life? There is no more pressing question for your life than to know who has God created you to be? Who are you? Where is the ease and where is the flow? So if the first, the first key is, man, I need to know, I need to know where the grace is. I need to know how God's wired me. I believe the second, the second key is this. You need to think about your circle of influence. This is a, a model from a guy, Stephen Covey, I just saw it a week or so ago and I thought, oh, that's really helpful. He says, we have the circle of control, things that are in my control. Then we have the circle of influence where I can reach out into my world. And then we have the circle of concern, things that bother me. And and, and I just had this sense like, man, in an age of 24-7 news and social media, I feel like we're getting paralyzed by the circle of concern. We know so much about every problem and the algorithms just trigger even more extreme views about everything. So, you know, I was thinking like, oh my goodness, the USA economy's about to default because the Congress isn't gonna approve a budget. Meanwhile, the Chinese economy is about to go under because two big construction companies are falling. And in the meantime, China's buzzing Taiwan uh, with planes. And at the same time, there's a naval conflict building in the South China Seas. And now Australia's joined in and he's got offside with them. And that's got them offside with the French uh, who are always offside with the British anyway. And in Britain, they run out of petrol and there's a volcano erupting. And it's like, ah! And it's like, if you, if you live in that circle of concern too much, you're going to be paralyzed. And I feel like one of the keys of creativity is this. The circle of control, which includes the grace on my life. I need to think about where's, where's my circle of influence that I could go and now start doing something good. I could start creating something good. I, I, and maybe for you, that if you're, it's your classroom, maybe it's your hospital ward, maybe it's your set of accounts, your clients, your, your factory floor, the rosters, your building site, your landscape project. How can you take your God-given grace and move out into your circle of influence and just do good things? Just do good things for people. Just do good things in our world in that circle of influence. And it's like, man, I'm going to use the grace of my life to bring influence for good. Which kind of leads to the third thing that, uh, so... Number one key, we need a, I need to know where the grace is. Number two, I, I need to think about using that in my circle of influence. But the third thing is this, and I'll, let me say it cautiously and then more provocatively. We need to take our grace into our circle of influence and do something strangely new there. I actually want to say do something strange, but strange is a strange word. But let, let me explain what I mean. Strange has at least three meanings. Strange, number one, means weird. Don't do weird. Don't go, we got enough weird stuff. Don't do weird. I don't mean go and do weird stuff. Strange can also mean kind of deviating from the true and the correct. And again, the Bible's very clear, Hebrews 39. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teaching. No, don't be weird. Don't throw out the core things. Don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. Don't throw out truth. Don't, don't, don't be strange like that. But strange has a third meaning. It means the unfamiliar or the new. 
A definition, not previously visited, not previously seen or encountered, unfamiliar or alien. We use it in this sense. She was lost in a strange country. doesn't mean the country was strange. It means it was a territory that was unfamiliar to her. It's like, I don't know if you've ever been into a country and it's like, man, I don't even know what language they're speaking at customs and where do I buy a train ticket and how does it work here in terms of checking in somewhere and at the restaurant, how do you order food? What is this food? And and it's like, it's just, it's strange in the sense of it's all unfamiliar. It's new to me. And, and, you know, and and so what do people do? They default, they go, I'll just go to McDonald's because that's familiar, and it's like, no, something, if we're going to unlock creativity, it needs that sense, man, if I'm a tourist, I, I'm, I'm up for this exploration, I'm up for experiencing new things, I'm up for, for stepping into things that I'm not familiar with, you know, I love Pastor Sam's definition of creativity, finding answers in hidden places, can I suggest one of the reasons that they're hidden is that they're unfamiliar, that you haven't been there yet, that you haven't seen them yet, And so creativity is, there are answers out there which are in a place which is strangely new, strangely new solutions. Um, And and so we need to like, man, if I'm going to unlock creativity, I need to be the person who's excited about trying something new, who's excited about thinking away, a new way to run this project at work, a new way to design this garden, a new way to think about the rosters in the factory floor, a new way to think about... um, reconciling these accounts or whatever, an unfamiliar way. Uh, Pastor Matt Gregory recently said to leaders at the church, you know, routine helps, but we don't want to get into a rut. Right? I don't have to think because it's all familiar. No, I need to, I need to be energized by the challenge to, man, I've got to work out how to do this in a new way. Pastor Sam often talks about this idea of being nervous excited or excited scared. We, we need to learn to enjoy that. Man, we're going to try something new here. I think there's a better way because there's a grace in my life that finds ease in this area and, and there's a slight, I think there's a way that would, there would be more ease in how we did this. And it's like, we, we need to kind of come alive to that. How do, we unlock, how do we unlock creativity? We take our grace into our circle of influence in a strangely new way. Let, let me give you a bit of a strange example of this. How many people like salted caramel? I love salt. I like salted caramel. And I was just thinking about this yesterday, and it's like, hey, as a kid, salted caramel wasn't around. <laughs> Even as a young married couple, salted like wasn't. Where did salted caramel come from? So I did a bit of research. Came from this guy. It's a great. It should be like a Disney movie. Henri Larue, chocolatier, French chocolatier. Growing up, his dad made uh, pastries and chocolate. He, that was his passion. So he went to Switzerland and trained in the best chocolate-making school for three years. And then he came back to France and he ran his own chocolate, chocolatier shop for 10 years. And then, and then he and his wife bought a new one in a new part of France called Brittany, a chocolate factory. And, and, and this thought gripped him like, what's going to make my chocolate shop, my chocolate factory different to any other chocolate factory here? And And... and Remember circle of influence? He's like, I do chocolate. I love making chocolate. He make, I make chocolate. My circle of influence, I'm living in Brittany. Brittany was famous for salted butter, for butter that had sea salt in it. He's like, what would happen if I did something strangely new and I made caramel using the local specialty of salted butter to make a sweet? No one had ever did it, but he, he did it in 1977. 
He made salted caramel. <clears throat> Three years later, 1980, he won the French prize for the best sweet in France. And then it, it kind of was just a delicacy in France for pretty much 20 years until 2008. It kind of broke into the states and global market with uh, Starbucks had a flavor, ice cream flavor. And then finally, 2018, it reaches New Zealand with Whitaker's Marlborough sea salt and caramel brittle flavor. It's like, how did that happen? And I read this article, it was in a British newspaper, it said this, salted caramel, that ubiquitous flavor which is actually only as old as Star Wars. And he said this, as we were really, really enjoying some salted caramel ice cream the other day, we suddenly thought, hang on a minute, this flavor is everywhere these days. Great question, where did it come from? Where did it come from? A man who knew the grace and ease. I love making chocolate. I'm good at making chocolate. I've studied making chocolate. Who took that into a circle of influence. I'm going to do this in Brittany, and I'm, going to th- and, and, and I'm going to think about that influence. But then he did something strangely new, strangely unusual, strange. He mixed salt with sweet, and he made a, a flavor that spread all around the world. And it's like... That's a great case of just one person who unlocked his creativity. I was um, thinking about this yesterday. I'd kind of prepared all this stuff, and then I kind of sat down. I thought, how am I going to land this? And checked my phone, and someone had posted, reshared a message that Bill Johnson from Bethel Church in Reading had posted just a couple of hours before, and it was about creativity. I couldn't believe it. And he quoted from this really obscure passage in Zechariah chapter one. He says this, then I looked up and there before me were four horns. Horns represent power, strength. I asked the angel who was speaking to me, what are these? He answered, these are the horns that scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. These are powers that destroyed their nations. Then the Lord showed me four craftsmen. I asked, what are these coming to do? And he answered this, these are the horns that scattered Judah so that no one could raise their head. Carnage, fear, chaos, people bowed down, people oppressed, people who couldn't see a way ahead. But the craftsmen have come to terrify them and throw down these horns of the nations who lifted up their horns against the land of Judah to scatter its, scatter its people. In the world of a spiritual climate of of chaos and fear and people being terrified and people bowing down and people being overcome. What's God's answer? Unleash some craftsmen and they terrify these powers. And and suddenly you go, oh, now I get why this is in an opposite spirit. Now I get why this is spiritual warfare because the powers of darkness want to overwhelm us with chaos. And right from Genesis 1, God's answer was for people who walk into chaos with a grace on their life and do good things in strangely new ways that create blessing and favor for people. And, 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 and how cool is it that, well, let me read what Bill Johnson said about this passage. There's something about creativity that disarms the powers of darkness. The creator of the universe created us in his likeness as a creator. Like how, like on the other side of the world, they're doing the same series as us. This must be a God thing for this moment. And it says, he reveals to us just how powerful creativity is through these craftsmen. Creativity can look like a musician playing from a stage or a coach strategizing the next play or even the pursuit of a husband to his wife. When we are 
I love this. When we are when we are authentic in our creativity, when you are authentic, this is where the grace is on my life. This is where the ease is. This is where the flow. I'm good at plumbing. I'm good at accounts. I'm good at making chocolates. When you're authentic to your creativity, he says this, we reveal that we are the children of the Creator, possessing the power and authority to be victorious. God has given you creativity as a weapon of your warfare. What does your creativity look like? And then under a picture, it just had this little um, motto, logo, whatever thing, just says this, when in war, create. I love his final statement. What does your creativity look like? Do you know what it looks like? You taking the grace on your life. Some of you got a passion for people. You just care about people. You care about the broken. Some of you got a passion for landscaping or architecture or health or children or elderly or, or making things out of wood. Why don't you take where the grace is? And why don't you move out into your circle of influence to do some good things that are gonna bless people? And why don't you think about some strangely new ways of doing that? Because you've been created to do that. Hey, I'd love to pray for you in a minute, but I just quickly wanna say, there's actually a fourth thing to unlocking your creativity. Maybe you've just been going through life and trying to find your way and purpose. All of this assumes one thing. Your, your tūranga waiwai, your standing places, you're created by God. You're never gonna find your purpose until you locate yourself in that place. God, you created me. You have graced my life. You have called me. You're gonna inspire me. And, and, and so if, if you haven't done like that's first base, that's the first step in unlocking your creativity, get reconciled with God through what Jesus has done. There's gonna be some links later on that can show you how to do that. But, I, but I'd just love to pray for you. You know, and I sense there's people who are just looking into the world a bit kind of confused or pondering, what do I do? And I wanna say, you were born for this. You were born for this moment. There's, there's God-given creativity inside of you. Let me pray. Father, I pray for each person. There would be a download of a sense like, yeah, it's always been like this for me. This is where the ease is. This is where the flow. And I own that maybe for the first time. But God, I, I think about the areas that where I could have influence, where I could bring change, where I could do something different. And God, I'm willing to step out and take a risk and do something strangely new to bring your goodness and your blessing. I refuse to buy into the powers that swarm around and wake me caught up in fear. I was created to create goodness and order in this moment. God bless you as you unlock your creativity.